0: And I'm Rebecca Milliken and this is Crime and Stuff. The podcast You would do if you had nothing better to do. And today we're recording at my house. So we have a special guest, Daisy the Cat, who's who's now sitting on your script with her back to us. Also we only have one microphone due to some technical issues, so but Hopefully the sound quality will be okay. I think it'll be We fine. get to sit next to each That's other. That's right. I think it'll be great. Daisy, you're going to have to move. But before we before we start, we need to give a shout out to our donor of the week, Bob Stewart of Saco, Maine. Thanks, Bob. Thanks, Bob, who didn't donate on Patreon. He donated on our other donation, our one-shot donation, but it was a nice one. And we appreciate... We appreciate all the help. Support. And I hear also he wrote in a note that he's a big fan of mystery novels. Oh nice. Yeah. So he's a he's a double fan. Thanks, Bob. It's unusual for someone to like us that much. Or Or you I I know. Or me. And also speaking of mystery novels. We should talk just for a minute about... Crime Wave? Yes, the Maine Crime... Maine crime Wave. Right, the Maine One Day Crime Conference on April 22nd, which brings together all sorts of different mystery and crime writers. Most of them who live in Maine or with Maine ties, and Maine, as you know, has very rich... There are a lot of them. Tess Gerritsen is going to... She is going to be honored with the Crime Master award the first one and that'll be that's the night before and it's part of the thing but if you register for crime wave you don't have to go to the friday night thing with tess and it's at the university of southern maine in portland so there's plenty of parking lots of room to get on right off of 295 easy on and off you can get more information or register at Maine writers which is the main writers and publishers association website so, I just thought I'd give a plug for that. And even people who aren't from New England, if you're thinking of a weekend trip, it's fun. When I Uber drive, I meet lots of people. It's amazing how many people from all around Portland, the country. Have Portland just come- is a great destination yeah, city. Yeah, come here just to... Yeah. Just There's to a visit. lot to do. It's beautiful. It's funny, a lot of every, restaurants. Every day when I drive home through Portland to get to South Portland, like drive up State Street to get to the bridge that goes across to South Portland, I look around and I think, "What a beautiful city with all this beautiful architecture and if you haven't been here, it's a great place to come yes, visit." Yes, it is. And it's a one-day conference, it's not something that's hugely time consuming it's a lot of fun even if you're just interested in writing in general because there's different panels and workshops i'm on a panel but don't hold that against it and the keynote speaker (laughs) is going to be janet mills who's the attorney general of maine and it's going to have some interesting things to say about maine crime so i'm just plugging that for i think anyone who's who is interested, and there will be books on sale from Kelly's books to go from all of the writers who are speaking that day. And you can probably get a lot of them signed. You and can meet the yeah. writers. Writers love That's signing their books. That's the one thing books. I like about that conference is you can meet the writers. You know, and it's not just like they're sitting at a table. You know, a lot of times you're mingling with them, talking to them. Like when well, there's right. a lunch and stuff. Yeah, at lunch or at the coffee and pastry. nice people in the morning. You can just the writers are just there hanging out with everyone else. And I don't write myself but i enjoy it i'm interested in the process and i'm a fan so i enjoy going just to be on the um you know just to learn some stuff and it's interesting to me it's not and so on that note so you're you've got the topic today yes and speaking of crime in maine this is a crime that happened in maine about 16 and a half years ago. And it, this is a little different from the ones we've done before. Yeah, it is. It's kind of makes me really sad and angry and frustrated with a lot of things. I don't know why it makes me more sad than JonBenet. JonBenet did make me sad, too. Well, the thing that was sad about JonBenet is that... Somebody did something horrible, and it was more important for the family to cover it yes, up. Yes, yes. It was sad mm-hmm. in a different way than Jabbany. Yes, it's sad because, because the system ways. failed. The, syst- yes. the system not only failed this child, but her family. Yes. So, the crime I'm talking about is the death of Logan Marr, a five year old girl who was killed by her foster mother, Sally Schofield, on January 31st, 2001. Well, the foster mother was not convicted of murder. She was charged of murder. She wasn't convicted. I think she should have been, but that you'll see how I feel about it. I have a lot of opinions. She was convicted of manslaughter. The reason I decided to do the story is the woman responsible for Logan's death is getting out of prison next month. And there was a story in the main Sunday Telegram. By the time this airs, it'll be a couple weeks ago. It was last week. Wow, I didn't know that. So how long had she been in prison? Almost 15 years. Well, okay which I was just about I'm to sorry. say. I was well aware of this crime. A lot of people in Maine are familiar with it. It was a big deal. With, anytime a pretty little girl, well, like Ayla Reynolds we talked about a while ago, John Bonet, The Nation's Still Riveted. I know it shouldn't matter, but it does, just like when we're talking about Martha Moxley. For some reason, it's something... Although the nature of this, and I don't want to steal any of your thunder... Like, it- yeah... If it had been any child, I just want to say yes, Yes, you're right. If it was a boy, any child. If it was a boy, if, if, child, a boy, if the it, kid was ugly, yes, it yes. still would have been, yes. I think, his big it a story would. as it, it I think it would, too, because of all the factors involved. And, and not to say that we think an ugly child's death is any less. No, of course not. But no children are ugly. They're all cute. They're all cute. Right, Daisy? She's sitting right here. So even people, some people might remember this, even if you don't live in Maine, because they always show the picture of her. The picture I see all the time is she's dressed up for Christmas. She's got a big hat with a bow on it. She's got big brown eyes and dark hair, a little five-year-old girl. And my daughter is now a year older than Logan when she died, a little less than a year. And that age is still fresh in my memory. And this case really infuriates me. The thing that really pisses me off is the attitude of the Department of Human Services or DHS as I'll call it most yes. of the time towards the birth mothers at the time and and I think now they have improved and the hubris of the foster mother and her refusal to admit that she sucked as a mother. Nice use of the word hubris. Was I right? I think so. It, we all learned that in English class. <laughs> I didn't learn it. Yes hubris isn't that like pride to yes the point of, yes no you did use it right i'm not saying i wouldn't use it if i hadn't looked it up first well or if i hadn't at some time the reason i finally decided to share the story even though it may make me cry i hope it doesn't is although that would add to the drama it would as logan's mother christy darling and at the time her name was baker was quoted in the article the most recent article is saying that she wants people to remember logan's story and logan's voice and she has cancer now christy does oh that's sad so even though it's corny i do want to share this story in honor of both christy and logan that is a little corny but you get a pass on it well it's because of the you'll see you'll see why i feel for her very much logan's story is sadly not unique in maine a state that is poor and doesn't offer many prospects for those living on the fringe. A lot of kids end up in foster care like Logan, but most don't die in foster care, which is what makes her case stand out. She was in three foster care homes in less than three years. And why was she taken away from her mother, you may ask? Abuse, neglect, drug use by the mother? No, Logan was first taken away from Christy in August 1998. The initial complaint against Christy came from her own mother, Kathy. Ugh. Christy was a teenager when Logan was born and moved in with her mom. The two fought constantly over how to raise the little girl. According to DH... Interfering bitch. Hey, she's still around. Well, I'm sure they butt it. You know, mothers and daughters sometimes. You know how mothers try to tell you what to do yeah, all the time. And mom, mom is so passive-aggressive about it, though, it's it's not really that offensive. Yeah, that's um, true. Offensive. According to DHS records, in May 1996, Kathy filed a complaint against Christie, telling an intake worker that, quote, Christie, no, this is the Elmer Fudd version, Christie. <laughs> oh, you know what? I I want to say. Jeez. I wish I could do an Elmer Fudd. A lot of the quotes are coming from, it's excellent. We can put a link to it, the front line yes. um, that was. I think 2003 maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, I could not, fa- actually it wasn't on the PBS that I had to f- watch the Frontline on YouTube. Yeah. But it, it's definitely worth a watch. I haven't looked for it recently on the PBS site, but it's like it, their front lines on, their, on the app don't synopsis. go back far enough. And they but. had a synopsis of it. And I actually did find a transcript, which was very helpful, but I watched oh, wow. it. I've watched it twice. We'll put both of those on our Website. Yes. Yeah. And a lot of the quotes come from that, but a lot of these were also from different news accounts, mostly from the Portland Press-Herald and Bangor Daily News that I found would online. The, would the Portland Press-Herald articles actually have been by the Kennebec Journal? Yes, they were. By, uh, many the of them Press-Hare. were by Betty Adams. Kennebec Journal reporter yes. extraordinaire. Yes. 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 Thank I you only for say that, that because when I worked for the Kennebec Journal and Morning Sentinel, In the Press Herald, our mothership newspaper would pick up the articles, and then everybody, AP and other newspapers, would give give the Press Herald credit. And I'm like, Shark! Yeah, no kidding. But anyway. Okay, so in May 1996, Kathy filed a complaint against Christie. And I also want to interject again here to say that in some social strata this is how people will get back at somebody for something or something they will call DHS on them or they will report them to the police for stuff it's very common it's common I I'm not excusing it I'm saying this is right and and they'll report child abuse or neglect that doesn't necessarily happen, but they know that just by reporting it, it throws it, the person's life yeah, into a chaos. Yeah, and you'll see. So. Yeah. So, and I don't know if Kathy knew what was gonna, would happen. No one knew So what would happen. Kathy filed a complaint against Christy, telling an intake worker that, quote, Christy is too immature and troubled to be a good parent to Logan, and that Christy can't, or won't put Logan's needs before her own. Kathy said that Christy screams and hollers, this is still quote from the intake workers notes Kathy said that Christy screams and hollers at the baby all the time and handles her extremely roughly Kathy said that the other day Christy was left alone with the baby when Kathy returned Christy was crying and said I can't stand this and ran out the door I think most mothers feel that way at Especially some point she was I think at this time she was 18 oh geez. she's 18 uh, you know I know The baby's crying, whatever. Again, if she was rough with the baby, we don't know. I'm not excusing that, but it's hard when i had hannah i was 45 and her screaming when they get in that thing where they're screaming now at the hospital they make you watch this dvd about it a purple crying they call Mm -hmm. it where the baby just screams and screams and screams because there's so many shaken baby syndrome things going on now they want to make sure that you understand if the baby's screaming you leave it so actually leaving the baby put the baby in the crib and leave you can't stay in the in the room with the baby if it's bothering you to the point where you're afraid you're gonna do something to i think we're genetically evolved to not want to hear that and to want to do whatever to stop it not necessarily hurt the baby but but there are times when there's nothing you can do i I think in a lot of cases especially when young men shake a baby yeah. to make it stop screaming. They're not intellectually thinking, oh, I'm just going to shake it. No, you shake. get into where Right. Make this stop. Yes. Make this stop because and they honestly, don't know how to handle Because honestly, when you're it. listening to a baby scream and anyone that's that's been in there knows, your brain starts to shut off. It's working on another level. That screaming is just like, oh my god, I, I can't. It's like hearing a really loud alarm or something. You're like, oh my... So. I can see why she said I can't handle this anyway, going off on a tangent, but So caseworker Diane Sanborn was sent to assess the situation and didn't find anything immediately concerning about Christie's parenting skills, but she was concerned about Christie's boyfriend an admitted drug user. DHS told Christy that in order to maintain custody of Logan, she had to start following rules dictated by the department, such as any boyfriend or anyone spending the night at the apartment had to be cleared by DHS. She would have to sever her relationship with her mother, who had married a man named Mitch. DHS had been told that Mitch had been convicted of sexually abusing a teenage girl. It turns out this was not true. So, I just want to be sure, I just want to get straight. So... Christy was told she had to not see her boyfriend. Yes. And she also couldn't hang out with her mom. Yes. Because of her mom's her mom, boyfriend. Because of her yes. mom's boyfriend. Yes. As long as Mitch and Kathy were together, Christy could have no contact with her mother or risk losing custody of her child. That just seems really big brotherish. Yes, to me. So here's a quote. Listen to this quote from the DHS agreement. Christy will not allow anyone to live, reside, or stay over until this person has been screened and approved by the Department of Human Services. Christy will submit names of people or person with whom she has plans to be intimately involved and shall not allow any contact between that person and Logan until assessed and approved by DHS. Holy shit. Doesn't that sound really like... Yes, and and I understand you need the baby to be protected, but it seems to me it would be more benefit to educate the mom. That's my feeling as Um, well, and you'll see as we go on, yes, instead of dictating who she can, and that's really unrealistic, especially a young woman who's a new mother to say you can't have contact with your your mom. I know, so, I mean, I know. So, Christy tried to live by the rules, but she started to become depressed and resentful. In an interview with PBS's Frontline, she says, quote, Somebody else was running my life. I was just a person following rules. It wasn't my direction. It wasn't my thoughts, my opinions. It was theirs. It made it really hard to have your own life personal. Angry? That goes without saying. I think it was more hatred, end mm. quote. She missed her mom, as difficult as the relationship was. The caseworker notes from the Times said, quote, Christy is missing Kathy very much and missing the companionship of that relationship. She says that she is lonely and does not feel she has a lot of friends. So, you know, that's a recipe for disaster right it there. It is. You're forcing her to isolate herself. She's a new mother and she's a she's a young mother. I, I just don't get it. And it seems it. to me, too, and you're not- isolation is the biggest... Thing that has a negative impact on all sorts yes, of stuff yes now what year was this again 1998 so it, it's not even like it was oh that this long. was like 1990 uh, this was in between 96 and 97 so 20 years ago yeah yes it yeah. Was 20 years so, ago. so we should have been more evolved by then oh yeah christy did try to stay away but she didn't really have much support or help other than her mom so she ended up coming back around one day in august 1998 She left Logan at her mother's apartment with a babysitter, and Mitch stopped by. And this was still when she wasn't supposed to have contact with her mom. I believe she wasn't, and her mother wasn't home, so I think she thought it was okay. But I think she was sneaking visits, you know, Right, and I just want to point out, too, in Maine, for people who don't, who aren't from here, familiar with Maine, there's very little public transportation. If you're poor, even without somebody dictating that you need to be isolated, it's very... Hard to not be isolated if you're poor because yeah. there's very little public transportation. There aren't a lot of resources. And you'll see that the the people. And issues. where did With she her? live again? I am not in sure, but I want to say it's that area. But not, yeah. I kept looking through all the papers and they didn't really say where she lived. But I believe it is like the the Lewiston area because she still lives right. in Durham in, in that area. So and Mitch was you know mom's guy. Right. He the guy had who had been un substantiatedly yes. accused yes, of, of rape or of sexual, abuse. sexual abuse. But he had moved out, so she so Christy thought that was okay. You know, he's not there. I'm going to drop the baby off. A babysitter's going to take care of her. A neighbor saw him and contacted DHS, who immediately sought custody of Logan, citing Christie's failure to protect Logan from potentially dangerous people. Hmm. Quite ironic, given what happened. Ooh. I like the foreshadowing. Yes, I always do the foreshadowing. I like that. Christy found out about DHS's plans and put Logan in the car and started driving to Boston. She realized, though, that she didn't know anyone or have a place to stay or any money, so she drove back. The next morning, two DHS workers came and removed Logan, two and a half years old, from her mother's custody and put her in state custody soon after to be placed in foster care. And here is a quote from the affidavit requesting Logan's removal. Despite the department's involvement with Christie since June 1996, Christie continues to demonstrate recidivism under scrutiny, a clear sign that Christie is unable or unwilling to make the necessary changes to provide a home free from threat of sexual and emotional abuse. The department is asking for custody of Logan Marr to be granted to the state of Maine's Department of Human Services. So, yeah. So, Christy was now pregnant with her second child, and she had to prove to DHS that she could change and follow the rules if she wanted to get Logan back as well as keep the new baby. Did she she, have the same boyfriend? No, they have different fathers. And I don't know who the father of the second child is, but the first, Logan's father, I read in one of the newspaper articles, he, he wouldn't be interviewed, and claimed that that at the time of Logan's death he had been seeking to to have visitation with her or something but there Mm -hmm. wasn't really any proof of it so I don't know. He wasn't really in the picture. DHS drew up a new agreement. She had to cut off all ties with Kathy, her mother, attend a bunch of counseling, some of which was one-on-one counseling, parenting skills classes, job training. She had to stay in a group home until the baby was born and afterwards find appropriate housing for her children and herself. After her new baby was born a daughter named Bailey, Christy moved into an apartment and communicated with her mother through videotapes. Because remember this was 1998. Yeah. She succeeded in staying away from her mother and fulfilled the other requirements of her DHS agreement enough so she regained custody of Logan after seven months. So we must be around in 1999 by now. Christy decided to move to Florida to stay with her dad and his new wife. Her dad had been estranged from the family after a nasty divorce in which Christy accused him of molesting her, a charge she later recanted. Christy tried a reconciliation with her father, but after only nine weeks, she grew tired of his rules and decided to return to Maine. During this short time, Logan seemed to do very well in this relatively stable family environment. Her dad's wife, Lydia Baker, said of Logan, Never once did I have a problem with her here. No throwing herself down on the ground, no nothing. I mean, she was a typical little girl, got mad because something didn't go her way, yeah. A tantrum, no. They just needed a life that was stable. She didn't have one, and she had it here, you know, for the nine weeks that they lived down here. Uh. So once she got back to Maine, Christy had no job and nowhere to live, so she moved in with her mother. Now, why again did she come back to Maine? She was sick of her, I guess, she... Her father, she was living with her father. She said she was sick of his rules. I don't know. Yeah. And she was in her early 20s at this point. She was 21, I think, yeah. 20 or 21. So she moved in with her mother and started a relationship with a boyfriend who was a convicted burglar. Huh. And she ended up marrying him. And I wrote, why, Christy, why? <laughs> Christy. DHS found out about Christie's trip to Florida and they were not happy. In their opinion, she exposed her girls to an accused sex offender, though we are not sure if he's really guilty since he always denied it and Christie recanted. I don't know. And he was never convicted or, or charged, charged with charged. anything. DHS was also not pleased about Christie's new husband. They reopened her case and assigned a new caseworker, Allison Peters. Peters got an unsubstantiated tip that Paul, Christie's new guy, had hit Christie in front of the girls. Peters did not waste any time. She arrived unannounced at Christie's door, accompanied by two police officers and with a court order in her hand demanding the removal of both girls. I'm already feeling in this story that people surrounding Christie were always really happy and anxious to. Call up DHH. I think. With. Well, from what I have now, I worked for a year for an attorney in the Lewiston Auburn area, and he dealt with mostly indigent. right around this time, too, right? A little bit before this, about yeah. five years before this. He dealt with indigent clients a lot, and that was their way of dealing with issues. If neighbors, they. If they were mad at their neighbor for something, they would call DHS on them. I mean, that that DHS is like the threat they used against each other. Yeah. So who knows? Right. Who knows who said that? Christy's on the radar now. You know, oh, yeah, I saw her boyfriend hit her and the girls are right there. Who knows? Someone didn't like her because she parked in their space or she, you know, right. whatever, played loud music or God, who knows. So Logan and Bailey were sent to a foster home two hours away. And it would be the last time Logan lived with her mother. To her credit, Christy always seems to have taken the high road. And you'll see this later. And maybe she's just trying to behave and get her kids back. But for instance, the DHS caseworker notes for this removal say, Christy helped us dress the kids and helped us put them in the car. She was appropriate in reminding the children that they knew me and they would be okay with me. Christy decided she would do anything to get her girls back. She divorced Paul. Paul. attended the mandatory dhs therapy sessions and classes worked two jobs she wrote in dh DHS vans for hours to attend the classes and therapies and she couldn't afford a car of her own. Logan and Bailey's new foster mother was Mary Beth Anderson. Logan was now four years old and beginning to be affected by the separation from her mother. Mary Beth kept a journal and I think maybe they're supposed to take keep a journal because Possibly. the foster parents maybe. I think they are. I mean it seems like a lot of the child care workers and stuff used to keep maybe that it's a good way to cover your butt or keep track of stuff. Right. In which she wrote that Logan was always asked when her mother would get her back. Quote. So here's a quote. I have a few quotes from her journal because they were annoyed me. Um, that month, Logan was seen by a therapist five times. The therapist said the themes of Logan's play were as follows: mommy and daddy fighting, mommy and daddy losing their baby, big sisters taking care of little sisters. Ah. And this one's sad. Someone took me away, but I don't know why. Ah. I know. According to Mary Beth's journals, Logan's was having rage-filled tantrums. Anderson wrote, quote, Logan's outrage is still bad. The child has anger by the ton. I'd be angry, too. <laughs> no shit. Logan pushes and pushes, and if I don't react, pushes further with whining and screaming and punching with closed fists and kicking. Yeah, well, uh, if you don't react. She's four years old. Right, and if you don't react, she's not getting your no attention. Shit. Okay, this quote pissed me off, too. They all did, but... I know. Okay, April 6th... Okay, I'll do it in her voice again. Not that I know her I like voice. your voices. So. A- well, it kind of delineates. April 16th. I told her I didn't know that Mommy... Ha- Oh, when she asked, when is mommy going to get me back? April 16th. I told her I didn't know that mommy had choices and needed to make the right decisions so they would have a safe home. It's like, why are you telling a kid that? I know. Like, oh, yeah, it's all your mother's fault that you're here, kid. It sounds like the mom was more appropriate no than the trained, shit. supposedly trained social workers. May 24th, Logan started right off with, do you think my mommy will get me back? My pat my pa- answer is, I don't know. The way she says Logan started right off with is if she's criticizing the kid for wanting to know when she's going to go back no to live shit. with her mom. She didn't get a reaction, so she escalated by talking loudly about her mom right next to me. And I would, yeah, she's, grow expecting, up. she's expecting a four-year-old. I'm four like, year grow old. up, lady. She's four years old. She's a fucking little kid, yeah. and she doesn't know why she's not living with her you, mother. You wonder how much like child psychology training or whatever any of these people have I mean even I would know with no training like that that this is a 4 year old kid who wants answers about her situation and, and and the woman acts like this child should be acting like an adult like I, a rational I don't adult know what or you something. would expect Mary Beth brought Logan to have a psychological evaluation at the Spurwink Clinic clinic Spurwink Clinic Spurwink clinic, which specializes in child abuse because she suspected the girl had been abused in the past. In spite of thorough examinations, the therapist found no evidence that Logan had ever been abused. They did suggest she get counseling to help her cope with the difficulty she was having as a result of the separation from her mother. Meanwhile, while Christy was also trying to cope with the loss of her girls and working hard to do what she was supposed to do, DHS caseworker Sally Schofield mm. was thinking of adopting a little girl. Aww. She had two boys already, one 14 and one a year old, but she had always wanted a girl. She said, I sort of felt like if I had 12 children, they'd probably be all boys, so I'd never get a girl. Aww. Well, that's a good reason. Why don't you just go out and buy one? I know. DHS discourages caseworkers from adopting children from within the system as well they should. And yet. But Sally was convinced that she should be the exception. Mm. She and her husband Dean That sa- alone her being convinced she should be the she exception. She was determined tells me there's something the, wrong. The or- the front line said she was determined that she would be the exception. She and her husband Dean signed up for mandatory training for prospective adoptive parents and began the process of getting approved. Here's what Sally said about the class. I think probably the general consensus was that I was some sort of know-it-all, you know, because I would say, well, you know, I think that maybe we ought to look at this piece if something came up or whatever. And the instructors clearly were looking to me for clarification huh. or for answers i'm sure they were and although i didn't notice it my husband was noticing that there were certain people in the class who were just like oh great here she goes again can i just say every situation i've ever been in be it a class like, like I know. even when i was in citizens police academy in waterville and stuff that There's always one or two people who have to constantly talk about, well, in my experience, blah, blah, blah. God knows I've probably been that person in some cases. But (laughs) you're looking at me like, yeah. No, no. But, no. but, But that's probably why people were, oh, here she goes again. In fact, when I was in Citizens Police Academy, there were like two or three people who were social workers, and they would constantly have to talk about, their stuff, ad nauseum, And then you always get the well, I'm a mom people too, but that's something. And I am a mom. Mm -hmm. And so, this is her pre-adoption assessment. Note that the person who had to assess her took. When asked how she would deal with a child in a very challenging parenting situation, for example, a child who is out of control and not following the rules, Sally said she couldn't imagine a situation in (laughs) which a child of theirs would be that far out of control. (laughs) You know, when someone answers that way, you're the assessor? That should be a red flag. Oh god. Don't you think? I'd be like, "Okay, this person is not is not I appropriate." Can't imagine any to child to be an adopted parent. Any no child of my house would act they like that. They wouldn't dare. At, oh, the, my at god. the time Sally was hoping to adopt, the federal government had begun offering states financial incentives to get kids out of foster care and into adoptive homes. I think this was maybe the Clinton administration. I don't agree yes. with this at all. Yeah. Biological parents were get more reasons to blame Hillary. <laughs> Biological parents were given less time to turn their lives around before losing their kids permanently. The philosophy had changed from keeping families together to keeping children safe even at the expense of parental rights. Christy knew the clock was running out. Apparently at the time a parent had only 8 months to toe the line to get to get to keep their kids. Jeez. I don't I, I don't agree with this at all. I know this is I'm sure people will disagree with me and that's fine. But my feeling is, like you were saying before, I would much prefer to see a program where if somebody is having is struggling and having issues, they have the support that they need without worrying about losing their kids, they get the help they need they get therapy to keep them to help them be a better parent because I used to work as a mentor probably about twenty five years ago with girls from the um the youth prison here in Maine, and most of them were foster children or had been in the system uh, a lot of them were in prison simply because they kept running away from foster homes which was a stupid reason yeah to let's incarcerate lock them up then. Them. but they all wanted to be back with their mothers or parents that was what their goal was and they these were teenagers i just don't think it's right as a society to punish the parents that are having trouble, and I know that sounds like a bleeding-at-heart, liberal-ass, you know, whatever way to think about things. But I'm thinking of the children and their how it will affect the rest of their lives. Well, I'm not saying let the parents get away with anything. I'm saying instead but, of taking the kids away and causing a situation like this where the kids become resentful, the parents become resentful, try to do something that's positive and keep the family together and help the parents be better parents or help and, them do whatever also, they have to do. And also a lot of Christie's issues didn't have to do with Christie being a bad parent or bad person. They had to do with her circumstances and the, in the circumstances of being very poor in the state of Maine. Yes. But none of those root, circumstances it looks like were being addressed right Mm -hmm. it was all being addressed from the other end let's keep the child out of this quote-unquote bad situation and And i almost feel like it's punitive yeah the treatment of the children and the mothers blaming people for being poor right there's this elitist you don't deserve to have oh yes you'll see my side i have a a little sidebar here coming up that well i'll let you go so about this time the night before logan was to start kindergarten Logan and her foster mother, Mary Beth Anderson, were involved in what is described as, quote, a physical incident, which neither DHS nor Anderson will discuss. Hmm. The girls needed to be moved immediately to a new home. Allison Peters, the caseworker, called Sally Schofield, her co-worker and buddy, uh. to see if she would take the girls on a temporary basis. Now, this was in spite of the fact that a department rules normally bar caseworkers from becoming foster parents to children within the system. Sally said, quote, Allison told us that, you know, the girls were beautiful little girls. They didn't have any issues. They didn't have any behaviors. They had to move the girls and they were heading for TPR, which is termination of parental rights. Now, I don't believe a lot of what Sally says Um, when I watched her on the Frontline. She was very self serving, which obviously she's going to be. And I thought she was one of those people. Maybe not. Maybe she wasn't deliberately lying, but she was casting things in her what right. she wanted to. Do they talk to that, Allison? I know DHS. She would not. She would not. I know they circle the wagons, yeah. DHS, even on minor things. Yeah. And it's very difficult to get any information out of them. So the TPR would free the girls up for. Adoption, mind you, this was only about two years after the first time the girls were taken away from Christy, who is about 21 years old now. The girls moved in with Sally in the beginning of September 2000. Sally says she fell in love with the girls that first weekend. However, she was concerned that the girls had been neglected because of signs. I'm using quotes. She saw in Logan her need to take care of her younger sister being one. Oh, that's a horrible sign in a child. So now I've got this. Is kind of a I'm. I had the there were some issues issues I want to talk about at this point because they don't come up in a lot of the research. And there's a couple things I want to talk about right now that aren't specific to this case but are factors in why Logan was taken away from her mother. One is the culture of arrogance at the Department of Human Services at that time, and I'm sure some of it still remains. There's one scene on the Frontline episode where a caseworker is on the phone to a client, not Christy and not Allison Peters. It's a different, you know, caseworker. And she's saying to the person on the other end, quote, that's why when you asked me if you could visit with Mom again, I said no, because mom." you know, isn't going to be part of your life anymore, end quote. And to me, that is like, how, if you're a kid hearing, my mom is not going to be part of my life anymore, what the fuck? How is that healthy for a kid? I know. And now I realize I don't know the context of this conversation. The mother could be a sexual predator or a druggie or abusive. I don't know. Still. But just the cavalier way she's telling this child that he or she is never going to see his or her mother again, it pisses me off. No wonder a lot of the clients saw DHS as the enemy and maybe still do. And I'm sure kids did too. And I just want to say, I don't know if the culture has changed or not, but about a year or two years ago, I can't remember when it was, I was in bagel mania in Augusta and was at a table next to somebody I discerned to be a DHS social worker, case worker, or something like that who was on a phone call loudly for 45 minutes disparaging a client and talking about a home visit they were going to do and how they were going to take the kids away and all this stuff. And I think I tweeted about it mm-hmm. and put something on Facebook, so I'd have to go back and look. But I'm like, first of all, her attitude was appalling, but to be in the middle of a um, little Public restaurant place. Yeah. blabbing about it, and here I am, a newspaper editor. <laughs> <laughs> you know, She doesn't know who's sitting next to her. And she was loudly just disparaging this client. And it was very disturbing to me. And I was going to complain and didn't. So I wouldn't I wouldn't, I wouldn't. have done it. any good. If you were that type of person. I didn't know who she was. The thing is, if you're the one type of person, which I'm not either, would have gone up and said, oh, can I have your name, please? No, what I did was I tweeted about it and tagged the DHS Twitter mm. account. So, you know, that's the that's the two thousand you know, sixteen or whatever response yes. to that type of thing. Another thing I thought illustrated the philosophy of DHS is Sally Schofield And an interview on the Frontline show says, I remember more than once having a birth mother tell me, well, go ahead and take that kid. That's all right. I'll have another one. And being astounded by that. I guess the audacity to make that comment. And I would think, you know, if anyone took my children, how in the world could you not cry? How in the world could you not lose it? How do you function? They're taking your life, your being. How do these parents not feel that? Maybe they were saying it out of anger. Yes, I said the same thing. But listen to this part. And my sup- my first supervisor used to tell me, that's why they're the clients and we're not. Oh, my God. So, the, yeah, I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? Is that the way you think of your clients? Oh, they're the clients they're and like we're not. They're like lesser species. Yes. So, yeah, know. no, I, I can see they're somebody. They're human beings. I can see somebody pissed off. Someone's taking their kid and saying, fine, take my kid. I'll just have another one. It's not a serious thing. It's like to me it's like, fuck you. Yeah. You know? Right. No, it's like they're it's already labeling and categorizing people who need DHS services as this lesser group yes. of people. Yes. You're already making assumptions about people. You're separating you're yourself from them. them. Yes. And you're, you're making and you're making that separation us versus them. Right. Before We're not clients, and we deal, never will be. But right. they'll always be clients before you even deal with the people. Yes. Before you even talk to yes. them. So you're not looking them, at them as individual human beings who have needs and who need to be treated with compassion and understanding. You're looking at them as people who need to be treated in a who who need to be boxed in. In a certain way, you need to control them and treat them yeah. as lesser beings. Yes, yeah. very disheartening. And so I said, you don't. You think they don't feel bad? You think? A mother that makes a comment like that isn't saying about of self-protection yep. or spite. And, you know, try and to anger. You know, you're taking their kids. Now, she's sitting there saying they're taking your life away, but then she's turning around and saying, but they don't feel it right. like I would. Right. You know, fuck her. Right. Anybody who, who feels like somebody else doesn't feel what they feel is I mean that is just the height of narcissism. It reminds me of that Vietnam documentary Hearts and Minds where General Westmoreland is saying that the Asians don't grieve the way we do oh, and then it's interspersed with funerals of oh, of Jesus. Vietnamese People who were needlessly killed and, Ugh. you know, crying. And, and it's just like anybody who is that narcissistic should not no. be no. in a situation where they have to deal with other people. And yet it seems like the whole the whole culture of the, of the department was that way. So another thing that wasn't really touched upon much in the front line or any of my research was the role of attachment therapy and Logan's death. So attachment therapy theory is a psychoanalytic meaning Freudian Freudian, (laughs) which I do have some issues with and I do have a degree in psychology even though it's only (laughs) sometimes a cigar is just a cigar yeah (laughs) That's all um, I and I don't, I don't really want to go into all the details about the theory, but it boils down to this. And if some of our listeners want to correct me or explain it better, feel free. You can email yes, us, or so as they treat? always do when we get something wrong. The gist of it is that children of neg- neglectful or abusive parents are unable to bond. So, of course, yet another theory that blames the mothers. And so, is it saying that any children who are any. I don't think they're saying any child of abuse or, is... Or any parent who is neglectful and abusive is not bonding with their child. No, they're saying the children of these parents. If a child has suffered from abuse or neglect, they are unable to bond. And there are children that do have problems with bonding. They can't bond with anyone? But I think... Or just Yes, the th- they can't bond with anybody okay. because of their... Because of during the developmental stage where you would learn to bond, they they were not given that the parents weren't bonding with them because they were neglectful and abusive, so the children never learned it sounds to. Sounds like bullshit. And then they got past that, but there are children who you know you. I know there it, are children with attachment issues because they've been in an orphanage or something and had no human. contact Um, contact and stuff like that but Logan was clearly not one of those children so when I had Hannah I had a visiting nurse that used to come weekly and then she came monthly because Hannah was premature and I I remember talking to her one day about how I was feeling guilty because people kept making me feel like oh well nobody can make you feel yeah I know but when you're a new mother I know. They do. Because I wasn't producing enough breast milk. And she said, uh, I wasn't able to continue breastfeeding. And she said, get used to it. You'll get blamed for everything now. You're the mother. And she was right. You get blamed for everything. Mothers used to get blamed for... Uh, autistic children because they had cold mothers. And it's like fuck them. So anyway, I don't put much stock in attachment theory, as you can see, and even less in the therapy for it, which is tough love kind of shit. I don't understand how tough love and restraint, how does, holding therapy, how does that make kids want to attach to anybody? I don't know.
1: <laughs> I think shit. it's more
0: of like punishment for their behavior. Maybe they, I don't know. So you punish the kids because they've been abused well, maybe and therefore that can't attach maybe so they need to Maybe a proponent of it can explain it to us. Maine DHS subscribed to the theory and even hired one of AT attachment. Theory, leading proponents Daniel Hughes is a consultant. Apparently, Schofeld had seen some of the therapists using these types of therapies on children, which is like restraint and wrapping them up in a blanket, uh, maybe to keep them from flailing and st- like to, to to calm them down, like you would with a cat, <laughs> like you know how they wrap cats in blankets. <laughs> Daisy says, "Not me." Daisy just, yeah. They actually, the the um, vet did wrap her in like this fishing net to give Aww. her a shot. Poor thing. But that's what you get for flailing around, Daisy. So, apparently, she had seen the, these therapies being used and decided to, that she could do it, too. Oh, without any training or anything, yes, right? Yes, with disasters. Uh, boy, with she is turning out to be a real... Um... And, in my opinion, Logan did not suffer, suffer from male attachment. Male attachment to males. <laughs> I think the poor thing had tried to be a parent for her little sister, which a lot of kids in that situation would do. She was scared and confused and most of all frustrated, and she was worried about her little sister. She felt like she had to be the parent, which I'm sure happens to a lot of kids who are in foster care that are, like I said, Gofield was her third home, foster care home, since she had been two and a half, so... And I, I read an article, uh, admittedly anti-attachment therapy site. I read some other stuff about it, too. I have my own opinion of it. According to this article I read, as of 2011, this was when this article was written, Maine still was using holding therapy. Um, they still advocated some of the therapies, uh, although they don't call it attachment therapy, or, but well, it's the same a, thing. A, a rose, rose by, by any other, other name. name. That's right. So anyways, we'll get back to the story, but I just needed to explain a couple things. So while Sally was bonding with her children, ah. Christy found herself being prevented from visiting with them by DHS. DHS told her she would now have to provide her own transportation, although she did not have a car. She was not allowed to know Sally's last name, address, or occupation. That Supposed- whole bullshit about providing her own transportation, I can't express to people enough how hard it is to I know, get around I know, Maine, it really is. in the state of Maine if you don't have a car. Supposedly the secrecy was necessary for safety concerns, and I admit, I I did not find out if this was a common thing to to keep I can see if the child is has been severely abused or something keeping that information from the mother but I it seems like the kids I've known in foster care they're biological mothers knew where they were so I don't I don't know Christy became discouraged and consequently started to miss appointments in classes mm-hmm. she acted out by remarrying Paul the guy she had dumped in order to regain the girls once she stormed out of a meeting with her caseworker and therapist Christy said of that time quote it was just hard to keep up with these things sometimes it felt like I was dragging all the time I didn't know when it was going to end well where is this where is the end to this you do everything and you do everything but it doesn't seem like there's an end. The frontline interviewer asked her... You knew you might lose your kids. How could you not go to every single thing that they wanted you to do? And Christie answered, I was tired, very tired. I was losing faith and hope. Why bother? What's going to come of this anyway? You know, they're going to try to take my kids, and they're not going to, you know, give them back, and they know it. Why? Why are they doing this? Why am I fighting so hard? No matter how hard I'm fighting, what would be the point? I'm going to lose in the end anyway. And Christie's therapist wrote to this to Allison Peters, the caseworker, quote, Christy's progress in the last five months has been slow at best. She has missed several appointments, blaming transportation and oversleeping. Our appointments are at 2 p.m. Recently, when cut off from seeing Maybe her- she was depressed. No shit. Listen to this. Recently, when cut off from seeing her daughter's Christy, quote, fell sick, not leaving the apartment or calling me for help. Christy has, on a regular basis, blamed others for her problems. Can't pay the rent? No job. Can't get a GED? Have to be available for my girls. Can't get a driver's license? No one will lend me a car. The bad guys have changed since the beginning of her counseling, but little else has. I hate to think that her relationship with her girls will be on this yo-yo schedule for so long. Like it's all Christie's fault that it's a yo-yo thing. All those things are the domino effect of being poor in Maine. No job, no car. You, if you don't have a car, you can't do anything. You can't. If you, I mean, it's hard to get a job. You can't get a job if you don't have a a car. Even in a relatively populated like Lewiston is a fairly large city. It's still hard to get around without a car. There's very little public transportation or no how are you supposed to I don't understand how these DHS people who should understand better than anyone else what those issues are can be so uh, condescending that, uh, and critical I of know it. the girls were settling in at Sally's she gave Logan swimming lessons and dance lessons but Logan was unhappy still her rages continued and escalated and I would like to say here that this is according to Sally the foster mother so I take some of it with a grain of salt about her, escal- you know, her rages. I think everything Sally says should be listened to. It should be a, yes. considered if, through the filter of Sally. And, you know, self. I hate to be. Well, no, I don't actually. You don't hate to be. I am generally not judgmental of people. Certain people, though, I am. And when <laughs> no, I start either. watch that Frontline, there's some people that as soon as you see them, you want to punch them in the face. Yes. So. Well, she was so, I felt, and I haven't watched. So, it was a few years ago I watched that. Frontline, and I didn't watch it again for this, but I felt that she was so smug mm. and knowing what had happened. I you know. know watching that and knowing yeah, what had that- happened, she was so smug and self-important and so sure of the fact that even though a child died, she was right. Yeah, so lacking in introspection, you know, it just it's very easy to hate her immediately. Yes. Yeah. According to Sally, uh, the rages were often worse the worst after visits with Christy and I wrote no shit yeah no kidding duh Sally said I really and think oh what were you going to say I was just going to say and they blamed Christy I know I really think that there was a lot of turmoil inside her and she would have these moods where she was terribly confused when she would come home from the visit she would start talking about something that her birth mom had said or would say oh mommy I mean Sally I mean mommy I mean well she was struggling geez even Hannah does that <laughs> I know <laughs> you know She calls me daddy half the time. On October 12th, the visit supervisor, so the person who sat in on the visits, which were also videotaped, and they show some of them on that front line, parts of them, Um says, Logan kept telling Mom throughout the visit that she was her favorite person in the whole world. As the visit was ending, Logan ran to Mom. and This was from October 12th, by the way. A couple months before. What October 12th? 2000. She Mm -hmm. only lived with Sally from September 2000 until January 2001. As the visit was ending, Logan ran to Mom and said, I want to go home with you. Christy said, that's not possible, and you have lots of things to keep you busy, like swimming and dancing lessons. Then on October 30th, Logan tells Christy, I don't like Sally. Christie replied that Sally seemed like a very nice lady, did many nice things for the girls, and dressed them beautifully. Logan burst into tears, and Christie held her and told her she would always be there for her. And, like, they have all these visits on videotapes. They seem pretty sedate. Affairs. There's never, there's not histrionics and shit like that when she's with. And Christy never does anything to whip the girls up into a frenzy. Or what anything. I'm hearing in when you say that is a little girl who really, really, really wants to be back with and her mom. And she's a four year old. She's stubborn. Or she's five. I think she turned five in October. Four or five year old. But it sounds very normal to me. I know. And it sounds like Christy is doing everything she can. To not escalate yes. the situation and to do what's expected and that's what makes it, sad. it so sad. Uh, Logan's behavior was was getting worse. She would rage out of control, according to Sally, screaming and kicking and thrashing so much that Sally was afraid she would hurt herself. Yeah, it wasn't herself the kid had to worry about, is what I wrote. Huh. Sally was at a loss, her confidence gone. I was supposed to be educated. How come I couldn't help her? How come I didn't know what to do? Because you are a know-it-all bitch, that's right. why. Just how does she think she was educated? And she thinks just by virtue of that, it teaches her how to deal with this situation. the situation. Poor girl. And another, this is a quote from Sally. Then she started with the tantrums. I mean, things like normal temper tantrums. Kids, you know, stomp off to their room or whatever. Those are normal temper tantrums. She really had rages. She would scream at the top of her lungs that she didn't need parents. She didn't need us. She could take care of herself. She'd always done it. She didn't need parents for anything. She would destroy her bed. She would kick the wall. She would beat the wall with her arms. She would thrash around. She was out of control. Now... I am, this is me again, not Sally. I'm not a child development expert, but I do have a little girl who just turned six. And I remember very well the years between three and now. And I would tell you, people talk about terrible twos, three is even worse. And... Uh, three and four were were stubborn they're coming into their own personality they're realizing that they don't have to follow your rules and they will tell you I mean they start that around two, but I think a lot of parents would agree with me when they get to be about three watch out so so I consider my daughter a normal regular kid who is smart but she's also stubborn and that age is so frustrating for kids she would often have these kind of meltdowns so much that she couldn't catch her breath she would throw stuff scream and tell me I wasn't her mother which she still does uh, she tells me she doesn't like me every morning when I make her get dressed she will say she doesn't need me and she has a, says the same things to her dad so uh-huh. I don't take it personally I don't care but neither of us ever suspected she had attachment disorder or was unusual or any in any way she's just a regular kid who's right. stubborn and she would scream she would get herself so worked up when she got mad that she wouldn't she would just be catching her breath so and i would feel bad that she was that upset but i never thought oh my god i mean it sounds like no logan was having the normal type of tantrums kids that age have and on top of it all she's frustrated because she wants to be with her mother and I she know. doesn't understand why it she's just with this annoying the bitch lady yeah, i know and I can imagine how Sally acted towards those kids, I'm not saying she abused them, but she probably at that assumed, point. expected them to be perfect because no child right. of And hers. she probably treated them in this condescending way that Christie wasn't treated. I them. remember reading at the time although I did not see it in any of the stuff I read, but I remember around the time saying she doted on the baby and the baby being her little boy Bailey, or Bailey. 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 Okay. She loved Bailey because she was a baby. I mean, she was a toddler and um, was was more stern with, with Logan. So Sally Sally wonders some more. Who did this to my baby? What did they do? F- By the way, it's not your baby, bitch. Why, at four years of age, is she in so much pain? What's happened to her? Duh. What demons is she dealing with? Re- and I, Yeah, really? I remember one day Bailey was upset because she couldn't get down and play during supper. She was having a problem with that, and Logan was trying to comfort her and said, "'Well, don't worry, sister. Maybe our next home, you won't, we won't, they won't have that rule.'" And she said that very matter-of-factly, and I said, "'Well, sweetie, where do you think you're going?' And she goes, well, you know, our next home. Definite survival skills. She had to know everything that went on and why. She thought she was the parent. She thought she had to take care of Bailey and herself. And so, no no fucking shit. That is one of the attachment theory Unbelievable. things. Unbelievable. One of the supposed signs of it is parentification or whatever. The child trying to, trying to take over. I think any family where there's older siblings... They can do that to a certain extent, extent anyway, of that. especially girls for some and, reason. And in fact, some families where there's a lot of siblings, I'm trying to remember what families I've read about where they have tons and tons and tons of kids. Like the Duggars? Where, like, the maybe it's them. Have an older kid pair with a younger yeah. kid and have this buddy system kind of thing, and I'm I'm not saying I'd advocate that. I'm just saying. I think it's normal for older kids to younger Well, when kids you're a little younger child, kids. four-year-old girl, who's been shuffled around with your sister, luckily they kept them together, she wants, she's the only, sta- the, her sister's the only constant in her life, and she's the only constant in her sister's life, and I'm sure she felt very protective. Yeah. So I don't understand, but anyway. So Christy noticed Logan was not doing well when they met during their supervised visits. The DHS worker present discouraged her from discussing issues with Logan. At the videotape visit on December 18, 2000, Logan told Christy that Sally had grabbed her cheeks with one hand and hurt her and her little sister. She actually demonstrates it in the video you can't really see it, but she's so, and she does this to me. And they said, that she, the DHS worker is sitting right there and shook her head at Christy, warning her not to pursue the matter. Then Logan tells Christie that Sally handled her roughly, wrapping her tightly in a blanket. Again, Christy was signaled not to ask. And that's part of AT therapy, is Correct. to wrap him tightly in a blanket. Here's a quote from the visit. Supervisor's note. I told Christy that her concerns would be noted. Christy then told Logan that if anyone does anything she doesn't like or doesn't feel right, she should tell her. She told her that she could tell her mother anything and Christy would never get angry with her. Okay, so a few weeks after this visit, Christy got a letter from Allison Peters, the caseworker, taking her to task for voicing concerns. The letter said, Logan does not need to distrust her foster home nor any of the individuals caring for her. You sh- could have very well left Logan with a sense of fear and distrust. Huh. Help make your visits a positive experience for Logan and Bailey so that they will yeah. continue. So to recap. So that sounds like a warning The to little girl was originally taken from Christy because of Christy's boyfriend and Christy's mom's boyfriend. Nothing Christy had done. But yet, there's obvious evidence already that this woman... Or at least allegations of it. that this, Right, that this woman is not caring well for the children and Christy's told to shut her fucking yeah, pie hole yeah, in about fact. It. DHS rules at the time required caseworkers to visit foster homes every three months and to promptly investigate any complaint of abuse. Allison Peters, Logan's caseworker, did neither. It, it's apparent from some of the communications between Sally and Allison that the two had a friendly relationship, and Allison was unable to treat Sally with the objectivity needed to make sure she was doing what she was supposed to Duh. as a foster mother. That's why there's those rules. No shit. In one email to Sally in January, this is early January, just five days after Logan's last complaint about Sally, Allison says... Christy is up to her old tricks, so she continues to make termination of parental rights easier and easier to get. And I'm like, fuck her. She's so flip about taking a All Christy's account. doing is looking out for her kid. They should be happy about that. So, looking out for her kid without making a huge annoying stink about it, by I know. the way. The supervisor person said that they did not report, did not do anything about these. When a child says that, they're supposed to, whether the child's making it up or not, whether they think that, they are supposed to investigate that. And I guess it's only... Um, when it's non-DHS work. Right. So, in a point, or yeah, when it's the parents. In a poignant moment during the December 18th visit, Christy says, because it was their Christmas that they celebrated. Oh, yeah. Whatever you guys get here today, you guys are more than welcome to play with. That's the whole purpose of having Christmas together. That way we can spend it together. And Logan says, but not at my home. And Christy says, no. Aww. I know, that's sad. And it's sad when you say it. About this time, Sally sent an annual Christmas card to friends and relatives, in which she wrote, Season's greetings to you all. <laughs> I hope this Christmas finds you in good health and even better spirits. On September 1st, we had two little girls join our family. They are just darling, as you can see, and have settled in rather nicely. I'm still waiting for it to hit me that we now have four kids. It's like, aren't you counting your chickens, lady? Oh yeah. In January, Sally had quit her job as a caseworker, and DHS decided to help her in her goal to adopt the girls, despite obvious signs that she was having issues with Logan. Christie started to believe she would never get them back, and she was right, because DHS was trying to take her parental rights away. She wrote a letter in which she planned to give them on her next visit, scheduled for January 31st, 2000. And this is a young woman who couldn't even afford a lawyer to help
1: her with this shit.
0: Dear Logan and Bailey, my sweet little ladies, I think of you so much and often it seems hard to believe you girls have been gone so long now. In a month or so from now, I stand the chance to lose both of you forever, and it's been no picnic but... This is not your fault. It's mine and mine alone. I want both of you to know that no matter what happens, I love you and will never stop fighting for you. And the girls never got the letter Mm. because the visit was canceled due to a snowstorm. And that evening in Sally's basement, Logan died. Mm. According to Sally, Logan had been having a tantrum. She woke up screaming, and uh, you so know, may, so maybe she was upset because she couldn't go to see. Her I mom. think that's what it was. Yeah, I think she was pissed off because Sally said we canceled it because of the snow. Yeah. yeah, Sally said I asked her if she needed to scream, and she said yes. And I said, okay, well then <laughs> let's put you someplace where you can scream. Sally put, you know what? Sally reminds me of, and you. I know you never watched Harry Potter, but in one of the movies. There's this teacher, and the people who know it will know who I'm talking about. And I, oh, shit, I can't remember her name. I'm sure our readers will let us I know. I bet there's a GIF of her we can put on our website. But she's Miss, she's very, like, sweet, and she has, like, these pictures of kittens all over the walls or of Rochester. sweet Roberts, and, acting. Yeah, but she's a fucking bitch and abuses Harry. Ah, uh, ooh. She's horrible. And I can't remember her. Yes, our listeners can tell us. So I said, okay, let's put you someplace where you can scream. Sally put Logan in an unfinished portion of her basement in a high chair, which is also attachment therapy. Put her in a restraint. She left her there for over an hour, she says checking on her from time to time. She came down to check after starting dinner and found Logan on the floor. The high chair tipped over. Now, why do they put him in a high chair? Logan was still in it, not breathing. Well, I don't know if that's specific, but it's to restrain them, you can restrain oh, them yeah. in a high chair. Oh, yeah, because it's... Logan was brought to Maine General Hospital in Augusta and pronounced dead on arrival. When police interviewed Sally that night, she told them Logan must have knocked herself over in the high chair and bumped her head. She claimed that Logan had not been restrained at all in the high chair. They asked her specifically, was she restrained or could she get out? And she said, oh, she could get out. She wasn't restrained. Yeah, But... A search of their basement found 42 feet of duct tape hidden among boxes. Later, testing revealed that the tape had been repeatedly wound around Logan's body so and head. So it wasn't a roll of duct tape, no, it was used it duct it was tape. used duct tape. So it had been repeatedly wound around Logan's body and head, including her face and across her mouth and nose. Oh. Clumps of Logan's hair were stuck to the duct tape. Oh. That's the part that always gets to me. So I they must have, picture of the duct tape with her hair on when it. When she it found a, her dead, she must have ripped the, all the tape off She of ripped it off and hit it before she called 911. Mm. An autopsy showed that Logan had not died from a head injury, but from asphyxiation. Yeah, I bet she probably would have had tape residue and stuff on her face. Oh, yeah. Police confronted Sally with what they had discovered. She told them that Logan must have tangled herself up in the duct tape. Oh, somehow. yeah. That she was, all she time. had this long, involved story. They show the interview. Yeah. She, she was playing with it, and I told her not to play. She must yeah. have been playing with because, it. Because a. The four-year-old or five-year-old is going to wrap 42 mm-hmm. feet of duct tape around her I face know. and nose and she mouth. She was arrested and charged with depraved indifference, murder, and manslaughter. Her own two sons were taken away by DHS the next day. Sally said, this really kills me. The baby had never gone more than 12 hours without seeing me, and he had never even spent the night anywhere without us. And they took him, and we weren't allowed to see him for 10 days. And he was sick, and he was tired, and he cried and cried, and Aww. he kept calling for mommy and daddy. Well, and does, I call- does she not? sucks, doesn't it? Yeah, does she not make any kind of connection there between how Christy must have felt? I know. And taken- I mean, your kid can take for thought, 10 to Sally thought she was better than Christy. I know. Yeah, well, that's why, Christie's a client. The affidavit by the prosecution alleged that Sally had taped Logan into her high chair and taped her mouth shut. At the trial, Prosecutor William Stokes put a doll in a high chair, Logan-sized doll. And went around it wrapping 42 feet of duct tape around it. Um, Unfortunately, it was a trial in front of a judge, not a jury. Because if it was a jury and he had done that, she would be in prison for murder. Yeah. When Prosecutor Stokes argued for the maximum penalty, he said gasping for breath is not an easy way to die. It's a hard way to die. This certainly does border on torture, which I Mm -hmm. would agree. Sally went to trial in front of a judge, not a jury who found her guilty of reckless or criminally negligent manslaughter. Judge Thomas Delahanty the second concluded she did not intentionally cause the death of Logan. She was sentenced to 28 years in prison with all but 20 suspended. And this is something I want to ask Matt about. Schofield's sentence was overturned because she wasn't given the option of a jury trial to determine whether I was- the level Rather, it rose to the level of being the most heinous and violent as to warrant more than 20 years. I thought she waived a jury trial. Right. I thought the choice between a bench trial and a jury trial was the defense's choice. That's what I thought, too. That's why I want to ask Matt. But maybe it had something to do with the sentencing. I don't know. That's why he probably is familiar with this case, so we can ask We can ask Matt. At her original sentencing, Delahanty said any remorse she may have felt was lessened by the argument at trial that Logan had a seizure that caused her death and didn't die by asphyxiation. He described the death as slow and agonizing with substantial suffering. Sally Schofield's former mother-in-law, Marilyn Schofield, later said, I still believe Sally. I do not believe she did this intentionally to a child. I knew Sally during the six years she and Dean, who was Marilyn's son, Sally's former husband, were together. And she had a way around kids. She never lost her cool. And that reminds me of a lot of people I know. They have this facade like, wife beaters and stuff. Oh, yeah, they. I never saw any signs of it. Well, that, no shit, they hid it from right. you. And also, I think... Are you a kid? I think there are people who never, quote-unquote, lose their cool in the way we're familiar with yelling and screaming and, are like, our normal way of acting. But other people... I've known people who pride themselves... Yes. ...on never losing their cool, and... They yet, have the, a lot of rage They do underneath. have a lot of inner rage, and the way they lose their cool isn't necessarily to, to yell and scream and even be... Be violent but to do really, really aggressively mean and angry things mm-hmm. under the guise of being cool and get away with it mm-hmm. because they're behavior. Or also is cool. sometimes they it blows up like with Sally and they and when they're around somebody who cannot really tell on them yeah. and can't really defend themselves, that's when they lose it. And also People narcissistic, like Sally, and people who pride themselves on never losing their cool feel when they do, they're justified somehow. That Mm -hmm. It's somebody else's fault. Somebody else drove them to it. And whatever whatever horrible thing ensues is not their fault. They were driven to do this by the other person's behavior. Yes. So Judge Delahanty... Who, and by he, the way, became a U.S. attorney he, and has recently been one of the ones who he's lost been, his job. He's been, yeah. Deposed. Deposed. He determined that nothing had changed since the original sentencing that would lessen the seriousness of the crime but um, the sentencing guidelines had changed, so he handed down the maximum at that time, which was 20 years with all but three years suspended. Her coworker Allison Peters, testified at the trial but was never asked about her failure to visit quarterly or respond to Logan's complaints of abuse. She failed to do either of those. She was placed on administrative leave for a month and then left DHS. Thank God. I wonder what she's doing now. I don't know. She wouldn't, she wouldn't be interviewed for anything. Prosecutor Stokes said because Schofield had been a supervisor... At DHS, it was hard for other caseworkers to discipline her. He said there was a young caseworker, and Sally was a very forceful personality. It was a recipe for disaster. Mm -hmm. No formal disciplinary action was taken against anyone at DHS in connection with Logan's death, but the case did prompt a lot of changes in the system. I bet. If anything good came out of Logan's death, it said the Department of Human Services changed the way it does things these days. They visit foster homes once a month, supposedly, and they attempt to place children with family members rather than take them away and put them in care. They work more with the parents, and there's less of that adversarial relationship. According to the Annie E. Casey Foundation, which is a private charitable organization dedicated to bettering the futures for disadvantaged children in the United States, that's a long sentence, Maine has become a model for child protection cases. Bailey was moved to a third foster home after Logan's death, and it took Christy another year to get her back for good, but she did. And Bailey is a lovely young woman of eighteen now. Well, thank God. And Christy is now known as Christy Darling. She's married to a woman, which I think is probably better for her. Uh, the bad news is she's battling cancer, oh. so I hope she'll be okay. But I'm glad mm. that everything worked out for her. But it—it's just a really the story is just there's so many things that if were well, the, the really sad thing is that christy wasn't a bad mother no she wasn't didn't, she wasn't a model mother but she was she was and, and is, the way she was treated all every single bad thing that happened here was because of dhhs's treatment of her mm-hmm. and idiocy regarding people and their elitist attitude yes i would agree with that and the irony that they were that- trying to protect Logan, and then look what happened to the poor Right, thing. and the irony that she died at the hands of a DHHS worker who was not monitored at all, who there were red flags and everything, and nobody gave a shit because they were so focused on crapping on Christy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I mean, I it's like a Greek tragedy. It's horrible. It's, it's horrible. It is horrible. So I know this story was depressing, but thank you all for listening. Yeah, and and I hope maybe it makes people think a little about shit. Yeah. Well, don't judge people who right. are poor just because they're poor. You know, judge them because they're elitist, snob assholes. Yeah, that's, that's what fine. we do. And so, you know what? It's time for right now. Ask Unless you're a finished. lawyer. Are you finished? Yes, I'm okay. done. Yeah, it's time for ask a lawyer. And here, here Hi, we are. Here's Matt. So when more than one person is implicated in a crime, is it better to try them together or separately? And who decides if they're going to be tried together or separately?
1: Okay, what we're talking about is commonly referred to as a quote-unquote Bruton problem. Bruton is B-R-U-T-O-N, if you're keeping score, and that is comes from the case... 1968 U.S. Supreme Court case, U.S. versus Bruton. These are situations in which two folks are co-defendants in the same crime or co-conspirators in the same crime. And the problem with doing that, first of all, the choice, whether to do it or not, is the state's. Mm -hmm. initially. So, Mr. Smith and Mr. Jones robbed the bank together, had a lot of conversations obviously together, and the state says let's save some money and try the two of these guys at the same time. The defense has the right to file a motion to sever the cases. Mm -hmm. Either Mr. Smith or Mr. Jones or both lawyers can file a motion to sever the cases, have them tried separately. And the grounds for that will be what we call a Bruton issue. And Bruton is all about the Sixth Amendment right of confrontation to cross-examine and confront witnesses. So what happens when we try Mr. Smith and Mr. Jones together is the state is going to want to bring in, as I told you in uh, a couple weeks ago in a segment, (laughs) when you all asked about hearsay, Mm. anything the defendant says is coming in. That's what's called an admission, so that's coming in. So we try Smith and Jones together. Smith, in our hypothetical, told the police that he and Jones did it. So Detective so-and-so gets on the stand and says, yeah, we interviewed Mr. Jones and he told us how he and Smith planned it. They got the guns, they got the masks, they went in to the bank and they robbed the bank and they got away with a bunch of money. Now, Mr. I'm giving our Jones and Smith hey, Mr. <laughs> Mr. Jones Mr. Jones has a Fifth Amendment right not to testify in the case. We all know that, right? Mm-hmm. So Mr. Jones exercises that right and he's not gonna testify. Mr. Smith's lawyer wants to cross examine Mr. Jones.
0: As a witness or as a. He can
1: cross examine uh, the cop and say, well, you know, you're, you know, did you, what are you going to ask him? He's got a tape recording of the friggin' thing. Mm -hmm. Now, but Mr., the other attorney wants to cross, Smith's attorney wants to cross examine Jones, but he can't. No. Because he's sitting there saying, Fifth Amendment right, Fifth Amendment right. Now the court says, dilemma. Mr. Yeah. Jones has a right, the right to confrontation, which includes cross-examination of witnesses against him in the trial. So we got a clash. Fifth Amendment right, butting heads with the Sixth Amendment. Yeah. Who's getting screwed? Mr. Jones. Okay. So the court says, and Bruton says, you can't do that. You can't allow all this crap that one weak
0: yeah, it, it turd
1: seems said yeah. about the other guy, if the other guy can't cross-examine him. So, court says, defense files motion to sever, tells the court, look, this is going to happen, we've seen the discovery, we've seen the reports from the police, we know what the state's going to introduce at trial, this is going to happen. And the judge says, separate trials, motion to sever is granted. What's evolved... And I've been in the middle of this in a murder trial with three murdered defendants, oh, God. Uh, two murdered defendants, one aggravated assault defendant and one misdemeanor assault defendant, all involved in the same incident. So what we have is, which I really don't like, is the court will say, OK, I'm going to sever these cases unless the state can cure the Bruton problem. And the way the state tries to do that is they say, we'll agree to, well, the judge says, you're going to do this. And the state says, okay, we'll do it. But what they do is they redact all the statements that Jones made about Mr. Smith. uh, So what we do is we bastardize his confession. See what I'm saying? Yeah. When he tells Detective so-and-so how he and Smith did it, we redacted instead of saying we did it. He says I did wow. it. Oh God, and
0: that sounds, now, seems if like you're, a lot of work. <laughs> see,
1: well, if but you're the defense attorney or the defendant, if you're Mr. Smith, kind of sucks. Yeah,
0: I think that it's kind
1: of guilt uh, for, by association, yeah. well, right? Well, I
0: think for the defense part, it, I would think that would be extremely difficult to have to try it to it at the same time. Right. And that's,
1: that's why judges are reluctant
0: but then to, again, to,
1: to do that. They, there are some cases where they'll say, hey, redacting it to say I instead of different. we. different.
0: Yeah, because it's a different, it's different. Uh,
1: oftentimes, the judge will say, you just can't cure this brutal no. problem. To me, yeah. it seems These like it's a totally be, different story yeah. to say yes. I
0: instead I, of we. I you feel know, it is. But the other thing that jurors aren't dumb; they can
1: kind of figure it out. If they're
0: both, if they are both in separate trials, and they both get acquitted because they blame the other, that's another another rabbit hole, I guess.
1: (laughs) Okay, I think you're. Can we dovetail into your next question? Well, my next
0: question was because it's
1: perfect dovetail into that. Yeah,
0: maybe, yeah, because my my other question was that we decided to kind of put together because they're similar, but two totally different defendants are even don't even have anything to do with each other. Can be, they can be tried for the same crime.
1: Okay. If you, and you're saying you want to try them at the same time? Yeah,
0: it's like, well, well, not at the same time, but. Well, there but, was a story... But this, it's either this guy did it or either that guy did it. And we're going to charge them. Well, the, the storyline I was thinking about was on TV, and they were in two separate jurisdictions. They were both being tried for killing the same person. Right. So, and I didn't understand how that could be.
1: Well, could if, they had, <laughs> I if, mean, if they had. If they. The theory is they did it together. No problem. Yeah. If the state has a case where they say, hey, either Jones did it by himself or Smith did it by himself, our strongest case is against Jones. Even though Smith ain't going to testify because he's got a Fifth Amendment right, even though he's not on trial, they just tried Jones. They are going to pile and pile and pile on Jones. Mm Mm-hmm. If he gets acquitted, do they then turn around and say, let's try Smith? We have a thing called transcripts. Yeah. Mm. And the
0: defense attorneys are going to use them, right? I Mr. Mean,
1: Smith's defense attorney is, um, I don't know if I can say this out loud.
0: Oh, say it. I
1: mean, he's going to have an erection. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Over we the usually ideas. we usually use hard on. He's gonna, I was in our, in our trying podcast. to be I was trying to be <laughs> clinical. Yeah. Okay. He's gonna have a hard on, and and the state is going to say, hey, well, I there's mean, a difference that, that's between a, a tough, TV
0: show and real life. No, World. the one tough. I was thinking of was actually, and I don't know if it's actually possible or if it was just some TV thing, but the two people were not. Involved with each other, but they're both being tried for killing the same person. And how can they wow, in different sucks. jurisdictions because know. you're tried in the jurisdiction the person is killed in, right? I don't right. know.
1: Unless, Unless no, he was, was poisoned good in good one and,
0: and died <laughs> or in the he other. died that song, I Shot Him in Virginia, and he died <laughs> in <Tennessee>. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> It was in Bristol. <laughs> right. It.
1: I want to be Mr. Smith's attorney. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and that's <laughs> not
1: for erectile dysfunction no. purposes. <laughs> that's just for the... Fun- uh, but, you know, there's no way they're going to be able to do that. And but you see the these the trials. I've
0: seen you know back when court TV was a thing. I, I can't remember what trial it was where there were there were two or three defendants and all their lawyers and everything. Just I remember really a trial cumbersome. Like that. Yeah. And then there's on the other hand when the, they're separate. Like I was thinking of the girl. They were in the military. The her and her boyfriend yeah. killed that poor high school girl. Yeah. Um, they were separate and they both blamed each other, which is what they're going to do. Of course, they both got convicted because. They both but, did it, probably. Well, I don't know if we cleared anything up there, but it was I, I think um, we certainly. Did. Yeah, we I, did I a did. little bit. No, but, you did. Yeah. I think
1: we did by talking about Bruton. Yes, yes
0: definitely. The, the,
1: but up until 1968, you know, this shit was being done, in some jurisdictions, some state supreme Court said you can't do it, some federal circuit court said you can't do it. And ultimately, that's how things find their way to the springboard. It just doesn't seem court. right
0: that you would be able to, you know, they say tell the whole truth, and that's not the whole truth. When someone's saying, I did it, but with the well, help it's of it's probably a question else. for a different day, but how often is the whole truth I know really true. ever told, you know?
1: It is on this podcast. Yes, yeah, so except for <laughs> on this
0: podcast. Well, thanks, Matt. Thank you. And Thank we'll you, mind. ladies. See you again next, next week. Time. All right. <laughs> It's time for our recommendations for this week. Do you want to go first? Yeah, I'll go first. It's kind of a strange recommendation, but it's a for a radio show. Ah, and is that like a podcast only on the radio? Yeah, it's <laughs> like, but but they do have, they probably have it as a podcast too. And I'm not, as you know, I mean, you know, Mo, but I I do that. I, I don't even know what you're gonna say, but yeah, I'm not a fan of sports. Oh yes, I know that well. Yeah, but I listen to uh, every Saturday morning at seven, so that's when my alarm, my radio, comes on. Bug. I know. I listen to uh, National Public Radio. There's a show out of Boston called "It's Only a Game." The host is Bill Littlefield, and I think it's been around for over twenty years. I don't know, but it's a very, very good show. And they talk about sports, of course, but they talk about different aspects that, that you do normally don't hear. And that's what I like about it. In fact, the one I heard this weekend that was interesting was about a, a girl who was, she went to Catholic middle school and she was a basketball player. It's in New Jersey. The diocese or whoever makes the budget You know, decisions decide to get rid of the girls' basketball team, and so she was a. She's apparently a very good player. Her father was like, "Fine, she can play with the boys then." And the diocese said, "No, she cannot play with the boys." So they sued. So the when was that? This was just I don't know within the last couple years, maybe the last year. I don't know. So she sued. The they sued, um, saying that she should be able to play the team. Probably Title IX, I would think, and um, she got expelled. Because apparently the policy is anyone involved in a law school with the school can't go to that school. So she and her sister both were expelled from Jesus. the school. And I think they ended up, go. they went to court, got back in school, and I think she is playing with now. Of course, I don't even remember how it ends, but that's just a... I just wanted to use it as an example. They cover a lot of women's sports, different aspects of sports, the human side. Yeah, well, and a lot of things that you wouldn't you wouldn't hear on the you know Sports Center or whatever those with those loud fucking and they have women you know women reporters and male reporters. And they're not like the loud fucking dickheads that repeat everything and speaking cliches like I hear on sports shows. No offense to any sports show fans. And he's been around for a long time, Bill Littlefield. Yes, he's- and my favorite part is Charlie Pierce is on every week with... Uh- like commenting on he's things that he's very very funny and I follow him on Twitter now yeah. because of yeah. that show. I didn't know he was Yeah, he used uh, to be a sports yeah. writer and Boston. and he's very funny. So that's my recommendation if you like sports and you don't have to get up at 7 to listen because I have an NPR app that yeah, I can listen to. Yeah, you can to listen in, to it. You know, if you have an interest in sports you definitely would like it. I've but, always liked the Human But I um sports. I just I'm kind of forced to listen to it every morning cuz I'm half asleep in my bed and I don't want to get up and turn the radio off but i do recommend that oh that's good yes well my recommendation is also something to listen to our podcast (laughs) aside from that which is number one on your list but a podcast that i like breakdown the third the third season just came out and this is a podcast that's done by the atlanta journal constitution and they follow one story over a number of episodes and they do a very professional job, but it's really interesting. And the topic this season, like, it's not a season because I know they've, I mean, season four is coming out like later this year. Yeah, or so. So, I guess it's still a season. So yeah, they call them but seasons. it's about Dr. Gupta in Atlanta that sexually molested and abused women in his examining room. Ew. He was a diabetes expert. He, um, and sometimes right in front of their boyfriends without people. Re- and it's all about like the power of medical doctors and people's unwillingness, like, fear of mm. racking the boat, and how the medical profession, and it reminds me, and I've only listened to the first two episodes so far, so, but already the point, the way the medical profession protects doctors oh, who do yes, bad they things do. remind yes. me a lot of the church abuse thing you know it's a different in a lot of ways but that they would rather protect their power well and their, i remember um there was a doctor when we were growing up he we actually knew the family and he, he, here in maine yes i don't want it really to say his name because oh he's of, the one who did liz's appendectomy yes. and he was yes and he was found to have abused young young men including his adopted sons and I worked with someone later whose ex-husband had been a doctor with him at the time. And she said to me, we, were, we somehow got on the subject of him, I don't know how, and she said, you know, it really pissed me off because I said to my husband at the time, you know, what a freaking perv he was and, you know, how horrible he was. And my husband was like, yeah, but he was a really brilliant surgeon and yeah. he was a really good doctor. Well, and that's a phenomenon that, you know, they circle the wagons around their own. And also people, and I was just reading actually an interesting column in the Boston, I think it was the Boston Sunday Globe this week, about how... Recent, the deaths of Jimmy Breslin mm. and Chuck Berry and everything kind of glossed over some of the negative aspects of their um, past. Like Chuck Berry, yeah, definitely with his sexual, yeah. Yeah. And, and Jimmy Breslin went on a misogynistic and racial tirade against a co-worker who dared ah. to criticize one of his columns. Ah. And it was a big deal at the time in the 80s and and how and then there was a quote by I can't remember who it was I don't want to say anybody's name that and get the wrong person who recently was kind of excusing Bill Cosby for what he's done in light of all the good he did for racial awareness and how he helped like Martin Luther King's I have a dream speech Bill Cosby helped make that happen somehow and that type of thing. And this kind of phenomenon where people believe the good somebody did outweighed their taking advantage of people's view of them as a good person yeah. to do yes. bad things. Yes. Yes. And it's it's something we have to get over as a society that I feel like if, if they're not there to do the good thing, maybe somebody else will fill the gap yeah. or somehow the good There's thing someone may who's not a fucking perv. But nothing excuses... You, you, you don't get a pass on on being a pervert I know. or doing illegal shit just because the other thing outweighs it. That's not how it works. I know. I you know? know. And I feel, too, like when somebody dies, I know we're getting off the topic here, that... The obituaries, the stories, the New York Times story, and all this bullshit should have the negative stuff, where it's not credible journalism. I know. Tell us if who that person was. If they're a famous person, was, person yeah. you don't whitewash their past. Yes. While well, you're falling all over yourselves to say how wonderful they were, mm. they're because that's not life, and that's not how it works. Yes. So Anyways, on that, so. no. So wait, I want to so ask you about but Breakdown, but I just want to get back to But you, breakdown. Watched, you watched the first, listen I mean, to, listen, duh. Yes, I listened to the and first two. And you liked two. them. And yes. this is a different narrator. This is, it's a different narrator, okay. correct. The first narrator, Bill, I can't remember his name. He'll be back for the fourth oh, one. Oh, okay. This narrator is another reporter at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, and they approach it like reporters. Their narration is, and I know I make it sound boring to say that, but it's not is newspaper reporterish. They're very they're not like us giving their opinions and getting yes, pissed off and yelling about. <laughs> Although there are some sly asides that are yeah. great and there is a there is an angle, there is a tilt to the story because it's called breakdown and all the, so it's the, about all the breakdown of, of some, the system. system. The breakdown okay. of the system has been what's indicative in all three okay. of the seasons. And I hugely recommend that podcast, not only the 3rd season but the first which was about a guy who wrongly Went to prison for murder when Mm -hmm. his neighbor's house burned down, mostly because the public defender system in Georgia at the time, there was one woman running all over the state trying to defend people, and he didn't get a proper defense. The second one was about the guy who left his kid in the car, uh, Justin Ross Harris, who was convicted of murder for that. And this one is also about the breakdown of the system that this guy, this this doctor who still is just affronted by how poorly he was treated. But actually he didn't get treated, and I don't want to give anything away, as poorly as he should have been given what happened. So that's... Right yeah. now, my favorite podcast, and I There's recommend it two, There aren't enough hours, though, to listen to all the podcasts I want to listen to. I know. To. So if I, I know. could listen to my at work, i don't have though, enough don't. places to drive because I mostly I listen while I'm... I i can not listen at work. And speaking so. of what driving, I have to go okay. drive to one of my many... Well, if people want to tweet to us... What's our Twitter it's handle? It's Crime and Stuff on Twitter. You can find us easily. Just start try- typing in Crime and Stuff and we're there. And it's with an ampersand. I, I believe it on is. On Twitter, I'm pretty sure. On Twitter and Facebook, it's ampersand. I, I don't think there's an ampersand on Facebook. Yes, I believe there okay. is. Why do to check it? You, check you know, it? it's so confusing. But while you, she's checking that, I'll tell you. You'd think we our, would. Our, um, our website is Crime, A-N-D Stuff. Online. Online.com and our Gmail is Crime. You are correct. Facebook, there is an ampersand. Yes. Gmail is Crime and A-N-D. And if you want to subscribe, all you have to do is go to our website, Crime yeah. and Stuff Online, and there's a page subscribing. You can subscribe through iTunes, through your Android. You can get an RSS feed. Um, and wherever you subscribe, if there's a way to review... Especially on Twitter, iTunes. were crime and stuff without an ampersand. Oh, yeah. The only are. place we have the ampersand is Facebook. Facebook. Oh, okay. A lot of places don't take an ampersand as well. Yeah, a title. yeah. Okay, so I'm sorry. Just not when in doubt, that ampersand. do the AND. Yeah, you can find We didn't it. think we're this findable. out very well when we came well, up with the name. Well, we, no, we thought it out. We just didn't realize the ampersand wouldn't be recognized yes, well. in titles and stuff. But you can also donate, as you can see, we uh, we always like to recognize a donor yes. of the week, and we appreciate the donations we get because they help us get equipment, mm-hmm. yeah. software we may need, and other things, and also there's a little bit of swag that yes. you get. And you can see that on our website. Yes. And I don't you can rate and review us on iTunes. Please rate and review. That helps other people hear us. It helps us get more listeners. Yeah. Um, and also, and I know other places. Don't you guys, do guys have, have opinions re- that you want to express? Don't tell us to shut us. up. I know. I mean, I don't Even care. Even our mother said our last one, the Martha Moxley one, was too long. She said, I think because it's too long, some people won't want to listen. And I said, Well,. You know, there was a lot of I don't know. I haven't had honestly. people say. Uh, I think a lot of people like longer podcasts, actually. Yeah. I mean, not super long, but, uh, you know. We, like... you know, and ours are a mix. Some are long and some aren't, depending on Mom the probably couldn't hear it very well. Yeah, well. So next week, we're going to do something different. A group of, from the Maine Crime Writers blog, writers of all different genres. A couple times a year, we do this thing called Noir at the Bar. Ooh, where we go to to go of the day off. You are? We're, we go to Bullfinney's Bar in Portland, Maine on a Sunday afternoon and we all do about two or three minute readings from our work. It's supposed to be two minutes, but people go over. Sometimes yeah. there's a gong. Ah. And we're going to record that, and that will be our episode 19. Yay! And if it doesn't work out, you will never hear that I just said that. Yeah. Because I'll cut yes. the podcast. I hope yeah. it does work out, because that'll I hope delay does. our research for a week. And we'll you'll hear from us next week. Yes. See ya. Right. Can we pause so I can pee? Yeah, I have to pee too.